As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not for your, from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law which is its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. This morning what I want us to be thinking about is I want us to be thinking about how we walk. Now we've called this series in Ephesians, Walk This Way. Every time I say that and every time I hear that, all I can think of is Aerosmith and Run DMC, right? No, it doesn't, it doesn't, right? It is a vibe. Um, and, uh, but we've, we've called it Walk This Way and it's interesting, in chapter 2, Paul talks about how we walk as Christians or how we as human beings walk. And you might go, well, I don't remember seeing the word walk in there. Well, we'll have a look at that in just a moment. But remember in chapter one, we've been, Paul has, has started off by saying that we've, we've got every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. And some of those blessings are brought up in this chapter that we just looked at. Things like salvation and redemption, adoption, being united in Christ. These are some of the things that Paul starts to unpack now. And he does that in this chapter. 
And so as we, as we get ready to dive in, I want to ask you a question. How do you walk? Have you ever thought about that? It was pointed out to me this week that I have a bit of a limp. It gets, actually gets pointed out fairly often, but it's been a little while. And that's because my left knee is pretty shot. And so I compensate and I have a little bit of a limp. I remember my, um, my uncle uh, who blew both of his knees out when he was um, young. And uh, he's a little uh, short Englishman. And he would kind of like walk like he'd waddle because his knees were so trashed that his legs had bowed and it was kind of, you know, my auntie used to joke around and call him her little duckling and all these sorts of little, you know, cute jokes, apparently. Um, but have you ever thought about it? how do you walk? Yeah. And they film you and you can tell if you're crossing the middle line. Yeah, whether, you, whether your ankles roll in or roll out, whether you're pigeon-toed or whatever the other version is. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about. Um, I went into a, a, a day conference on Tuesday into the city in a Broadway and um, I noticed that everybody as they were walking to work were like, yeah. And then on the way home, everyone's walking home from work. You know, just in the space of the day, everyone's walk had changed. Paul talks about how our walk changes too. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. Because the first thing Paul says is that once we were the walking dead. This is what he says. That's how he starts off, isn't it? Verse 1. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. See, we were, we were the walking dead. And I choose that phrase because when I hear this all I can think about is zombies right the zombies are the walking dead right they were once alive now they're dead they're 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 not really alive but they're not really dead and when Paul's talking about how we were dead in our transgressions and sins he's not saying that we were dead and buried in the ground but that we were walking around in a spiritual deadness in fact, what he goes on to say, he tells us a little bit more about what this looked like. He says, um, so I'll start again. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And then verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Now, the reason why I'm talking about walking is that another way of interpreting the Greek word for follow is to walk. So you could easily say that um, they used to live in these ways, when you walked in the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who was at work in those who were disobedient, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following or walking in its desires and thoughts. Paul paints a very clear picture of what it looks like to be the walking dead to be the walking dead spiritually. It's to actually go after the, the cravings of the flesh. Now, the word that Paul uses for flesh here is in the Greek word, and I, this is one of the few Greek words that I remember very easily because the, the, the Greek word for flesh is sarks, and I remember that because my body sucks. Right, because it's falling apart. I've had knee reconstruction, shoulder reconstruction, things are not working. Right, and so usually when we read that, it, it means body, it means flesh. 
But in the way that Paul is using it here, he's talking about our spiritual self. That we used to live and crave and desire the things that the dead spiritual self went after. Just like a zombie, all they think about is feeding. And everything they do, they scan their environment, they're, they're, they're analysing everything around them, every smell, every sound, is based off their desire to feed. When we are spiritually dead, we go looking after the things and the desires and the cravings of our sinful heart, of our sinful core. In fact, we read elsewhere that this idea of, of being spiritually dead, of being sinful, is actually a self-centeredness. That we look to what we get, what gratifies us, what satisfies us. In fact, Martin Luther um, had this, this really interesting phrase to describe it. He says this. He says, the, heart, uh, sorry, the human heart is curved in on itself, self-centered, looking inside, it's centered absorbed on itself and seeks all things, even God, for its own sake. Outside of the life-changing work of Jesus and the work of the Spirit in our lives, that is the innermost core of every human being, is that we look for what we can get, how things will benefit us, A sinful heart, a, uh, the walking dead, the core of the walking dead is looking to use everything and to serve nothing. It uses everything to serve me, to serve you. And we even use things like God in a way to serve ourselves because everything centres around me. That's what it is to walk around as the spiritual dead. We analyse everything around us with the mindset of how does this help me? How does this fit my interests? How does it make me happy? Everything I look at is about how it benefits me, how it works for me. Now, I've uh, spoken to people about this before, and a lot of people will get upset about this. I would say, you can't call me that. I'm nothing like that. You might be like that, but I'm not. I'm a good person. I do these things. And I say to them, I say, well, how many times did you use the, the word me or I in that sentence right there? You are talking about yourself. Because that's what we're most concerned about, isn't it? When we get down to the, the, the brass tacks, is that we're worried about how people see us, how people perceive us, because we want to be liked. We want to be accepted. It's what I want. It's about how it works for me. Now, you can do good out of self-centeredness. You really can. There are many people out there who are doing incredibly wonderful things. They're, they're serving the needy. They're being good children to their parents. They're being good friends. They're being good parents to their children. They're helping people. They're supporting the refugees. They're, 
they're giving to charities. They're giving their time. But how can that be self-centered? How can that be about being selfish? Well, quite often, people are doing those things because they want to, they want, they're looking for meaning and purpose in their life. It's actually not about them, it's about me. I go and work at a, a homeless shelter and, and serve soup to the homeless, and I go, I'm doing these great things for these people. Why? Well, I'm doing it out of the goodness of my heart, because why? I'm a good person. I'm doing these things because I want people to see me as a good person. My identity is that. You take that away from me and then I need to find something else I need to do so that I can show people that I'm a good person. And if I can't find something, then who am I? You hear um, countless stories, I actually heard this on the radio this morning, about parents when they become empty nesters. Their kids move out. And they've invested so much time and energy into their kids and all of a sudden now there's no kids at home and they're like, what do we do? Who am I? Who are we? And it's actually one of the, the uh, toughest periods for couples because at that point they often realise, actually, I was going through the motions, I actually don't like you. We are spending so much time together, I'm realising I actually don't like you anymore. I don't know if I really like you. Obviously not the case of you guys, which is fantastic. Right? But that, that happens quite often, and then divorce happens after the kids are left home quite often. Because there is this, this trying, to re, trying to figure out again, who are we? We were parents, now we're not parents. What does this mean? Now we're always parents, I know that. But it's a different kind of thing, right? If we're always looking for something else to fill our needs, to give us identity and purpose, we'll be forever chasing. We'll be forever scrambling after these things and we'll never be satisfied. Because we do these things to make ourselves feel better. And it ends up that, that feeling of purpose and meaning and, and, and being a good person and, or whatever it might be, it's good when we finally get to that point. But do you know what? It becomes a bit like a drug. And you know the thing with drugs? Is that you start off with just a little bit, but then it's not enough. You need more. And then you need more and more. I remember reading a quote from a, a very wealthy, extremely wealthy uh, businessman who was so wealthy that he owned his own island, right? That sounds like an amazing thing to do. That's how wealthy he was. Um, and on his deathbed, he was asked if he had any last words. And his last words were this, I wish I could make just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. That was his dying words. What he had was not enough. He wanted more. Why? To give to someone else? No. Because he was rich. That's who he was. That was his identity. 
and he wanted to be even richer. Friends, when we are walking dead, we are focused on ourselves more than we are focused on others. We might look and sound like we are focused on others, but really it's to serve our own self-centeredness so that we will have meaning and purpose and identity. In fact, so that we might even boast about how good we are. We might even boast about our identity. To say things like, I don't know, I've never had to say this, but you know, for some people who are really smart, like, I get good grades. I got 99 point whatever in the HSC. Awesome. You might have a really great job and you might boast in, in, in your career because no one else has got a career like you. You might boast in your salary because you get paid so much or your holidays or your kids or whatever it might be. We're all looking for something to give us meaning and purpose. And it ends up being a thing that we end up boasting about. We're always looking for something. To, to satisfy that craving and that desire of our sinful centre that is always looking in on itself. Now, I don't know if you've seen um, any of the Rocky movies. Now, I've seen Rocky 1. Is that a couple of people? Um, there's, a, there's a scene in Rocky 1 where, um, I don't know if they're married at the time, but when Rocky and... Uh, Adrian uh, having a conversation and she says to him she says why do you want to fight? You know you can't win, you can't beat Apollo Creed now Rocky responds by saying I just want to go the distance, then I'll know I'm not a bum now Rocky doesn't win if you haven't seen the movie, I apologise, it's a spoiler alert. But it finishes with both of them in, a, in a just like swollen eyes and a just bruised and bloody mess, both in hospital. But he goes the distance. He does exactly what he hopes to do. Why is he doing that? Because he wants to prove himself. He wants to have people see him not as a bum, but as someone who went the distance with the champion of the world. It was all about how people see him. It was about him. It was not about whether he survives, whether his brain stays intact. In it was about how people see him and how he feels about himself. That is the, the core center of our sinful nature. That is the cravings of the flesh the desires and the thoughts of the flesh. But Paul gives us another way to walk. And he says that this walk is not the walk of the living dead, but it is the walk of the living. It is a walk of life. It is not a, not a walk of, of looking for the things in this world to try and give us meaning and purpose, that give us identity, but it's a walk of not what's achieved, but what has been done for us. Have a look, verse, uh, verse 4, where it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. See that? Paul uses the word dead in this passage to really drive home where we are at. He doesn't say that we were sick in our sins and transgressions because sickness has various levels and sickness you kind of get better after a while, right? You you start eating better, you take some um, antibiotics or whatever it might be, you eventually get better. But when you are dead, there's nothing you can do. A dead person cannot decide to come back to life again. A dead person can't say, well, you know, I've given this kind of lying here in the ground thing a bit of a go. I'm done with that. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get back to, you know, my normal hustle and bustle. It doesn't happen. What was needed was someone to come and not even resuscitate, but to actually resurrect. And this is what Jesus does. He comes and gives life to those who don't have life. He gives life to the dead. It is not a resuscitation, but a resurrection from the dead to life. So that we don't walk in death anymore, but we walk in the light. And you know what the wonderful thing about that is? Is that because Jesus came and did that for us, we can't boast about it. We can't say, look what I did. I got myself out of the grave, got myself dressed and went off to work. No. We can't boast in, the, in our achievements. Our identity can't be caught up in what I've done or what you've done. The walk of life is a walk of humbleness and gratefulness and joyfulness because of the grace that has been poured out, the gift that has been given to us that has given us life so that we won't boast in what we have done but what he has done. No longer will we be chasing and scrambling for identity and self-worth and self-esteem and performing for those around us so that they see us in a particular way, which just sounds totally exhausting. But we see that what happens is in verse 6, we see that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus. Jesus comes and gives us life as a gift. Jesus sits in our seat, so we get to sit in his seat. Have you ever been at uh, someone's house or at a party and there's not enough seats and the host gets up or someone just gets up and gives you their seat so that you can sit down? And they will stand so you don't have to. It's a wonderfully kind thing to do, isn't it? It's a generous thing to do. How much more kind and generous is it for Jesus to say, hey, that seat that you are sitting on is the seat of the person who needs to die for their sin. Let me sit there and you sit in this seat this seat of glory and splendour, this seat of life, this seat of internal 
inheritance. You sit there. Let's swap seats. Friends, this is the gospel in a nutshell. In fact, John Stott puts it even more concisely in two lines. When he says this, he says, The essence of sinful man is substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. So we put God, sorry, we put ourselves where God should be, but God puts us, uh, puts himself where we deserve to be. He does this. He saves us and makes us his own so that we will not boast in what we have done. And so, like Paul says in Galatians 4, uh, sorry, Galatians 6, 14, our boast becomes this. Paul says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, our boast isn't in what we have done, but what has been done for us. And that is a wholly and totally different way to walk. We don't walk with a swagger of what we have done, but we walk humbly because what has been done for us. We don't walk into a room and declare how wonderful and great we are because what we have done we walk into a room and declare the wonder and the splendour of what Jesus has done for us. We don't walk into a room and tell people how great we are. But we walk into a room and tell everyone how great Jesus is. That means that when we go through our day-to-day life and those temptations to go searching after those things that will give us identity and purpose in the eyes of those around us that we can look at those things and say yeah they're great that's awesome but it's not my life because Jesus is my life and because I have Jesus I have all that I need because there is my identity there is my meaning there is my purpose Paul says that once when we were living and walking dead, we had no hope. But in Christ Jesus, we have hope. Hope of eternity. We have hope that, as Jesus tells us, that we are seated with him in heaven. That that inheritance that will be ours is ours. So we have this future hope. Last week we we talked about that. We're not about what we were or where we've come from, but it's all about where we are going. That is what defines us. That is our identity. And so my last point tonight, that as as we no longer walk in death, but walk in life, and I'm sorry to do this, but I couldn't help myself, as we no longer walk in death, but walk in life, we need to know and understand that you'll never walk alone. If you don't get the reference to that, you can ask me later. Some of you do. But you, we never walk alone. Because we have God's Spirit in us. 
That's what we are told, that the Spirit is in us. The one Spirit, the Holy Spirit is in us. And so as we walk through this life, in life, God's Spirit, God's presence is with us as we walk, as we go on this journey. And so we are never alone. But also God doesn't call us out of death into life to do life alone. He calls us to be a part of his church, to be part of his temple, his people. And that is how Ephesians 2 finishes off. That we've been brought together as his temple, as a holy temple, being built up so that we would do this together, that we encourage each other together, that we would remind ourselves of these things. This is what Paul says over and over again. In verse 11, he says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, uncircumcised. And then verse 12, he says, Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ. There is this remembering of who we once were. Now, you just heard me say we're not about who we were or where we've come from, but it is helpful to remember who we were and where we've come from. Because when we remember who we were and where we come from, we see where we now are and we see the grace that has been poured out on us. We see how amazing it is that what Jesus has done for us on the cross because here we were and here we now are and to get there was not our own doing. Because here there's no way I ever would have thought or wanted to go here. But it is only by what Jesus has done am I now here. It is nothing that I've done, nothing that I can boast about. But sometimes we are tempted to go back to that old way. Later on in Ephesians and in Colossians, Paul talks about the old self and the new self. There'll be temptations to want to put on our old self and being part of the body, being, being Christians together in church is a place where we encourage each other, remember who we were, but who we now are. To not put on the old self again, but to keep putting on the new each day. We are not called to be individuals as Christians, but we are called to be the people of God. A number of years ago when uh, my favourite football team soccer team for those who are um, uneducated um, football team uh, Liverpool came out from England and they played at MCG against Melbourne Victory I, I went down with a couple of uh, people uh, Joel and Amanda from our, our church on Saturday night and we, uh, we went down there was 94 plus thousand people at the MCG biggest sporting event in Australia uh, besides the Olympics and before every game, there is a song that is sung by every Liverpool fan. And when I was there with 94,000 plus other people who I had no idea who they were, never met them before, never met them again since, probably. And if they did, I wouldn't even known they were there. But in that one moment, when everyone sang the song together, everybody was one. We sang with one voice. And we sang, you'll never walk alone. In that moment, I had a profound sense of what heaven would be like. I had a profound sense of what church is and should be. 
And here I am in a secular setting having a profound God moment, right? I've told people this and they've gone, that's really random. It's like, yeah, God does random things sometimes. And it's good. Because in that moment, we were one and we were singing together. We're saying, players on the field, fans in the stadium, fans around the world, that we are one. We are united. And we will not support this team alone. Friends, as Christians, we are not alone. We are not just friends, we are not just acquaintances, but we are blood relatives. Do you realise that? That you are my blood sister or my blood brother. Because we are both saved and washed in the same blood. The blood of Christ that unites us, that brings us together as one. We are family. We are united. We are not alone. And so when we go through the storms of life, we can have the hope of heaven firmly placed in our hearts. When we are going through those storms in life, we want to stay home and not go out. We want to bunker in, fortify ourselves from the world and deal with whatever it is we are dealing with. Brothers and sisters, can I say, that is not what we are called to do. When we are in storms in our lives, we are called to be together because we are not alone. That we can get through these storms together by trusting each other, by sharing our lives with each other, by encouraging each other, by spurring each other on. There's so many one another passages in the Bible. You cannot read the New Testament and think that we are to be solo Christians, that we are to be alone Christians. Christians are to be around other Christians, to gather regularly, to not get out of the habit of meeting regularly. Why? Because we walk through this life not alone, but united and together. And so friends, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us this morning to walk in life, to boast in what Jesus has done for you. Boast that Jesus is alive. That freaks people out. You ever say that to someone? I'm a Christian because Jesus is alive. They're like, what? Friends, boast in that. But also, know that as we walk through this life, that we are not alone. We are together. When we meet together here, we meet with God himself. God is with us as we are with each other. I want to pray. Dear gracious God, we thank you that though we were once the walking dead, we are now living in life. And Father, you have called us to live a life that is not alone. So Father, we pray that you would help us to know that we will never walk alone. 
Father, that whatever storms in life might come our way, Father, we pray that you would give us such a assured knowledge and comfort knowing that the hope of heaven is firmly in our hearts. May we encourage each other and spur each other on to keep going, to not put on the old self, but to keep putting on the new. And Father, we pray that we would continue to have our identity, our self-worth and self-esteem caught up in you. May we boast in you and what you have done. May we boast in Christ and in Christ alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.